Can we do a boat pageant for my grandma's birthday? Once the Jubilee is over, can we have Colin Firth Day? Helen and Ollie, Helen Yes, Ollie Man. On Sunday the 20th of May 2012 at 6.15pm, mm-hmm. were you on the number 122 bus from Crystal Palace to Forest Hill? I have a cast iron alibi for that time. <laughs> no, I don't think I've been on the 122 since last summer. Oh. When I was uh, returning from Catford to Crystal Palace after a ramble. Well, with such a tediously mundane detail, you have unwittingly slammed Pete from Forest Hill. So early in the uh, show. Um, you will have also eased his conscience. Okay, uh, good. Uh, yes. <laughs> because uh, he's written in to say, uh, on Sunday, the 20th of May 2012, at about 6.15pm, I was on the number 122 bus from Crystal Palace to Forest Hill. I sat on the top deck at the front, and who should I see sitting in the next seat over but Helen Zaltzman no. leafing through a newspaper? No, you didn't. Impossible. What's the alibi? Uh, I was on a train coming back from my parents. I was immediately sure it was you, says Pete. Brilliant, I thought. I'll get her autograph. What do you need that for? That is of zero value. Well, you say that, you don't know how you're going to die yet. (laughs) You may yet become the victim of a high-profile serial murderer, and therefore your autograph could be worth quite a lot on eBay in about 20 years' time to sick collectors. I'll start uh, frequenting dodgy parts of town. But Pete says, I started having doubts. Yeah, you're right to. Uh, The real Helen often talks about her general shabbiness. It's just a device. Yeah, it's partly self-deprecation, that. Just don't want to get you you too excited about my appearance, listeners. Uh, But this woman looked quite well dressed uh helen is usually smiling in her pictures but this woman was a bit frowny <laughs> that's because the camera's being pointed at me i frown regularly in my normal life partly because i have a bit of a squint yeah helen's face and repose is like fury basically well it is when you're there <laughs> it wasn't long before i found myself only 80 to 85 percent sure it was helen mm. uh in the end i kept my mouth shut and quietly got off the bus autographless to be honest you could just guess what my autograph is like and do it in your little autograph book I realise later says Pete in Forest Hill thickening this plot um, (laughs) that this kind of thing happens to me all the bloody time anyone would think that Pete is not all that great at facial recognition (laughs) maybe it's just you that he sees all the time I woke up in the middle of the night and there was Helen Zaltzman sitting on the end of my bed (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Helen answered me this what's worse having a roughly 15 to 20% chance of embarrassing yourself in front of a stranger very precise with the maths, isn't he, Pete? Maybe he's a statistician in life. Uh, or a 100% chance of forever wondering what might have been. The former. Worse to embarrass yourself. Yeah, I think so. I have uh, the opposite problem, actually, to Pete, where I see somebody and I think, is that someone I was at school with? Or is mm. that somebody that I had a business meeting with mm. years ago and I can't remember their name now? And then I realise it's somebody that I can't remember the name of that I've seen in a television programme. Oh, yeah. God, that's the worst, actually. Well, it's fine. I mean, no one dies. The worst thing is if you actually ask them, and so many people have asked them, they just say really reluctantly, like, yeah, I was in the Halifax commercial three years ago. So yeah, but I'm the kind of person from. that never would go up and ask. I did do this thing with uh, a guy that I later realised, waking up in the middle of the night with a sweat, I realised, was, this is really weird, the managing director of Little Chef, who starred in the uh, <laughs> specialist factual documentary series Big Chef Takes on Little Chef on Channel. Four with Heston Blumenthal yeah. and I'd had a chat with him and I was like I oh, know I know you from somewhere but where and I didn't ask him and then I remembered that's where I know him from <laughs> my friend uh, Julie once uh, saw Jeremy Paxman walking his dog in the park and uh, she came back and she said I saw Jeremy Paxman walk his dog in the park I thought maybe I could give him my CV on a dog what? I think she's trying to buy a toy dog. See, this goes crazy. I honestly think 
there was obviously a time where in the 80s, you know, you could send a cake to Saatchi and Saatchi with your CV in it or something, and then mm. it was seen or as a novel big thing bag to do. Of Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with your business card to chop it up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think this stuff's just gone a bit fun. Like these grandstanding <laughs> things, I don't think people are impressed. I think they're a bit scared by. Yeah, it. use Twitter. Yeah. Well, she couldn't use Twitter because it was 2002. Well, I know, but yeah. you can now. Yeah. The, the, the dog was the early Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone used to at reply each other by tying messages to poodles. Elizabeth from Thorn. I have a cat called Xander, and I also live right next to a canal where there's lots and lots of ducks. And we're just getting to the season where all the ducks are nesting and laying eggs. I don't want Xander to do a duck massacre and kill all of the tiny ducks. But I also, he's driving me absolutely crackers and he's clawing all my furniture, so I have to let him out. So Helen and I answer me this, what can I do that will stop Xander from wanting to kill baby ducks? I don't want to put a bell on him because I think that will humiliate him. I think that is a ridiculous viewpoint to espouse, Elizabeth, because the humiliation of your cat is surely not as important as saving the lives of all these ducks. Who, who is he humiliated in front of? His cool cat friends. <laughs> I'm not sure, having studied cat behaviour up close, that they have humiliation well, in their arsenal, to be honest. You can't see them blush because their cheeks are furry. <laughs> like Martin, actually. Animals trade on instincts, don't they? And, and yeah. unfortunately, I'm afraid, Elizabeth, killing ducks is instinct. As you know, listeners, I'm a cat lover... Bells are essential, I'm afraid. But do bells actually work for scaring away ducklings? I don't know about ducklings, actually, because, of course, they learn as they get older that a bell means big, scary animal about to come. But at least it alerts them to the fact that there might be some danger. And frankly, if the cat manages to catch them then, they they deserve to die. They're natural selection, (laughs) isn't it? They're going to get killed by something else. One technique that you could try as well Mm. is I find that when I buy my cat a new toy Mm. that's been designed especially for cats, uh, my cat is completely uninterested and, of course, plays in the cardboard box that the toy came in. Yes, Um, like a child, really. Like a child, yeah. They don't need it. It's all just exemplifying how stupid cat owners are to spend money on their loved creatures. I'm I'm glad you finally realised it. Uh, Perhaps buy your cat a duckling toy. Toy, and then it will build up such levels of disinterest in the shape of ducklings that it won't oh. be interested in the real oh, thing. reverse psychology. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, here's a question now from Alec with a sunburnt back. Oh, I've seen some livid sunburn mm. around London the past few days. Yeah. Sunburnt tattooed flesh as well. That's particularly squeamish mm. making. Oh, although sometimes it can add to the artistry. I mean, it That's depends true. what the tattoo is of. Yes, very much yeah. so. If it's a burger, it looks great. Oh. Um, Sunrise. Anyway, Alec says, Helen, answer me this. When holidaying alone... At what moment is it acceptable to approach a perfect stranger and ask them to apply sun lotion to your back? Depends whether you're on the pool. If you're on the pool, straight away. Why wait? You're on holiday. Just go for it. Yeah, but he's alone, but he might be approaching couples, for example. Well, they might be up for it. They're on holiday. (laughs) That's true. What happens in Marbella? Yeah. Uh, well, he says, is it necessary to make an introduction or engage in small talk at least a day before the application becomes an emergency? No, I think probably five minutes of polite chats. The thing is, I mean, the, the picture that you so brilliantly created for us there of a lot of people sitting around a pool in Marbella, some couples that are there to swing, some <laughs> just for the fun. Actually, my um, picture is on a beach, possibly a okay, topless beach. Fine. Beach, but, yeah, beach or pool. We're, we're in the same sort of place, That's same fine. resort. But what if he's like in a town centre? Then you can't, can you? Well, then yeah. he should put a shirt on. What if he's in like a five-star resort and it's all like really kind of manicured and everyone's like walking around in the spa then you can't just go up to someone there's a sunburn butler at the five star resort yeah well he says is asking hotel staff acceptable 
Oh. Depends on again. Like, are you what if it's them? not a five star resort? What if it's a two star resort? Then can you ask the staff? No, I don't think you can. No, if, you're, if you're at an ETAP hotel, yeah, it's not going to work. Not. Um, mm. I think if you're going to tip them handsomely, yeah. if you're in say Vegas, they probably will do anything. Yes, yeah, <laughs> they will right. smear that lotion anywhere you want. Yeah, but then just as you're about to pay the say, plus with the thirty percent sun lotion tax, that's five thousand dollars. <laughs> um, I think maybe if you're not on the pool, Alec, and you're worried about this, maybe approach like a kindly looking older couple yes. so it's obvious that you're not doing it in a sleazy way and you go excuse me I'm terrible ageist, so look at th- ageist? Yeah. why is it obvious well, maybe he's might, into a bit of granny you know, people, gash people, who, ugh, people <laughs> who've been uh, parents before they go oh that looks nasty let me help yeah, I see, yeah. if you want to take the sexual element out of it maybe that's a safe way to start yeah. but otherwise if you're just sitting on the beach next to some people just strike up a conversation and go I'm really sorry I know this is a bit forward and weird but do you mind yeah but that's a bit, I mean that's very English the way you just said that is very very I or, am English or, or, or British I suppose more generally I'm very but British it, but and you could say that to Americans because they like that about British people I think you could say that to other Brits yeah, yeah, abroad fine. Brits abroad lose inhibitions fine but what if he's in a place where there are no Brits abroad what if he's the only Brit what if he's the only person oh. that speaks English can you say to a French or a stylish Italian couple rub yes. this in my back in that self-deprecating oh I don't mean to be a terrible bother I don't think you can what is it about his back that prevents him from doing it himself well it's hard to reach yeah but it's possible has he, got, has he got a very big back he might have really short arms like Matthew McConaughey I suppose <laughs> put the suntan lotion on a long-handled paint roller yes do it yourself yeah in a way it's not the most important part of your body to put suntan lotion on either as well oh I don't know because people can lie on their fronts fall asleep and wake up with livid pain but that's the answer don't lie on your front I mean most of the time if you're in a deck chair you're lying on your back wear a cape (laughs) (laughs) you never see Batman with sunburn do you I've got a question then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com 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 hark what's that sound it's the sound of 20 aeroplanes from the military flying past, making the words answer me this jubilee in tight formation. Of Is course. it? Yes, How that's right. How do we afford that? Mm. On the proceeds of uh, all of you <laughs> who have bought the answer me this jubilee on iTunes, thank you. Only £2.49, but it certainly adds up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is, of course, now jubilee week. Here's the thing that I found out about Prince Philip. He is the first royal ever mm-hmm. to use a barbecue. Wow! 1952, Prince Philip got his own barbecue. Does he still use it, I wonder? I doubt it. He's an early adopter. He's all about cloud technology now. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think he now uses one of those apps that looks like a barbecue and you can pretend to be grilling a frankfurter on it? Almost certainly. Uh, Those are stupid, but they get very good reviews in the app store. (laughs) Well, here, accordingly, is a question about the royals. Oh, good. Albeit not something I think we'll be drawing attention to during this celebratory jubilee time. Okay. It's a question from Rachel in Sale, who says, I know there are rumours about... Princess Diana's death. Oh, no, those aren't rumours, Rachel. She is definitely dead. (laughs) Well, it depends whether you believe uh, my grandmother's version of the events, which I recounted in a previous episode. Oh, it's worth recapping because it is good. Okay. Instead of dying in the crash, she went into a coma. And then when she woke up from the coma and realised her true love, Dodie, was dead, she tried to throw herself into the scene. She was rescued by nuns. (laughs) But she had amnesia. Who was this beautiful woman, they thought? They turned her into a nun. They sent her off to do good works in uh, the Indian subcontinent somewhere. And then on her deathbed, she gave a flash of those famous blue eyes and the people attending her last minutes on her thought, oh my gosh, it was her all along. Fucking hell. Further in Rachel's question, she says, I'm 11 
and nearly fall asleep when copying out pages about the royals. You shouldn't copy out. You should interpret the information as your own initiative. You say should. I don't know if we're familiar enough with the national curriculum to know yeah. the level that you should be at. Yeah. She says, I want to know this. So, Ollie, answer me this. How did Princess Diana actually die? It's weird, isn't it, that if you are 11 years old, yeah. you've not been alive at the same time as Princess Diana. And it seems to me... <laughs> it's not that weird. It is weird, because to, to me, she's still very much the face you think of when you think about, I guess, the modern monarchy. To me, I always think of Queen Elizabeth I when I think about the modern monarchy. <laughs> Yeah, she was the first to uh, attend a Royal Variety performance, of course. <laughs> she, they had Marlowe, followed by some jugglers. Um, actually, that's not so ridiculous, is it? That is the kind of thing that yeah. we've had. Yeah. Jesters and yeah. some uh, early fireworks. Um, but in any case, I, I suppose because she's kind of frozen in time and because is I was... Is that where she is, frozen? That's right, yes. On, in, that, on that island in, in all In the herb time to preserve her features. And to make her delicious when Prince Philip puts her on the barbecue. That's right. <laughs> um, I didn't think there was any real dissent as to how she died, i.e. in the car. Car crash. crash, yeah. It's why the car crash happened. That is the thing that the conspiracy theories abound about. You know, the little white car, Prince Philip cutting the brake leads, Prince Charles like lying in the road and then shouting boo as the car went past. <laughs> the reason the car was going so fast when it hit the wall in the tunnel was because they were being pursued by the media. Yes. And also the driver was three times over the legal yeah, yeah, driving limit. Of course, and, and you could even say, but Princess Di was courting the media, which is why they were pursuing her and all that. But th the bottom line is that, uh, that happened. Then there was a massive inquiry about it. And of course, as we all know, the yeah. tabloid press now behave themselves ethically in every oh, possible yes. way. They are upstanding. So I suppose that's the thing that it's oh. a bit of a shame that people haven't really learned from you was know? it rebecca brooks that killed her uh yes she was sat in the boot of the car going you don't need to wear seat belts any of you guys because none, none of them were either <laughs> none of them were wearing seat belts no uh. if rachel insell uh, really wants the technical details as why diana died she died of injuries sustained in this car crash chiefly um her heart was shunted from the left side of her chest to the right side of her chest which tore her pulmonary artery which is very hard to survive Happy birthday, Mum! Well, that's the Jubilee concert off to a flying start. Gary Barlow leaving the stage there. Of course, the uh, Queen's very favourite performer ever since uh, he did that Take That video when he had jelly rubbed into his buttocks. The answer me this Jubilee. One hour of right royal fun available now from iTunes. I don't know if it's picking up on mics, but outside the window of the Answer Me This studio, there are a lot of children going, which is one way to reach our ears, but a better way is to call the question line by dialing this number. 0208125877. Or by Skyping Answer Me This. Oh, hi. Um, this is this is Dan and Joe from Brick House, West Yorkshire. Uh, yeah, we were just watching um, Tenacious D... Uh, mini series. Uh, we're quite drunk and on a school night as well. <laughs> um, and uh, they they appear in front of a curtain uh, before the narrative starts, and they sort of have a, a bit of a conversation with the audience. Uh, you know, which is us. Helen and Ollie answer me that. What the hell is the first instance of, of a comedy duo appearing in front of a red curtain and? Uh, sort of talking to the audience saying what's 
happen in the episode before it actually happens. Well, this presumably goes all the way back to like music hall and variety theatre. Never mind telly. I mean, oh, yeah, standing in front of a red curtain saying what's about to happen is what you do when things scenery is being shifted behind yeah, the exactly. curtain. Yeah, exactly. Time filling. Yeah. If you take it outside of theatrical tradition from whence it obviously came, though, and mm. say who were the first double act to do it on television, oh well, mm, it probably well, would be someone like Morecambe and Wise. It was probably someone before them who's less remembered because maybe the TV footage has been destroyed or. It's not Arthur Ruskie kind of thing. Yeah, or, but he's not or, a double act, is he? No, no. Or if it was black and white footage, so you couldn't tell what colour the curtain was. I don't think this is particularly a trend for double acts. I mean, double acts yeah, tend yeah, to be yeah. used in that kind of way, but this is just a trend for any master of ceremony. So I'd say, for example, Steve Allen, when he hosted The Tonight Show, yeah. he did mm. that first, didn't he? The comic monologue, standing in front of a curtain. That's what Johnny Carson did at the beginning of every Tonight Show. That's it, what Letterman does now, basically. It's probably what Abbott and Costello used to do. Yeah, yeah. so there's, yeah, fuck loads of people did that. I know, I know it's fictional, but it is set in, what, the 20s? At the beginning of The Artist, he's standing in front of a big curtain, yeah. him and his dog. Yeah. The other place, of course, that you see a Master of Ceremony standing in front of a red curtain is The Muppet Show. Yeah. Um, uh, which I was such a massive fan of when I was a child that I tried to recreate it in one of my Ollie Man spectaculars that I put on in the sitting room. It's a bit like uh, you were the little puppet in the new Muppet film that is such a huge fan of the Muppets that he goes to Muppet Theatre and kind of revives it. Yeah, that's right. That was based on me. Yeah. Uh, I was so in love with that aesthetic, the spotlight on the curtain. Yeah. I didn't really understand that it was a spotlight being projected from you know, the box or the back of the theatre. Right. Mm. I just love the look of Kermit illuminating the spotlight. Yeah. But when I sort of rigged up the theatre, i.e. my front room taking the sofa and disassembling <laughs> it, I took a curtain that mm-hmm. I had and I put a massive large spotlight right behind it. I'm <gasps> sensing fire. To create Uh-oh. the impression of a spotlight. And it was there for about three hours whilst I was setting everything God. up. And I was like making a programme for my mum, you know, written and directed by Why did by you leave the mom. light on during these but things? Because I was the star and I could do what I wanted. Very wasteful. And then when I invent- invited my mum in to see this terrible show, which I actually hadn't written, was going to perform for her. That's uh, not the point though, the she, writing. Yeah, she absolutely freaked out because she was like, you could have just set fire to the whole house. What are you doing? And, and then didn't want to see the show. She said, not only was this very dangerous, you were also backlit and that is very intimidating. Well, talking about children in the spotlight, this is from Daniel from Liverpool, uh, who says, Helen, answer me this. How do the judges for child beauty pageants get chosen? (laughs) And is there a CRB check or something of the like? Uh, no. Of course there is. What do you mean, no? No. Yes, there is. No, no. They're at least casually asked the question, are you a paedophile? Sure. (laughs) Okay, it's it's advised that the judges are over 18 and do not have a criminal record, so that only means the most successful paedophiles make it through. (laughs) Um, But judges are chosen often just because they are important in their field of something related to the pageant, so say fashion or performance, or they were a former pageant child themselves, Uh, or they're just the mum of, like one of the pageanteers. So I was reading articles by people who've been chosen to be judges and they were like, there is no check, no qualification. There is like a, a seminar that you can pay to go to for a weekend and then you're a certificated pageant judge and you can be on a list whereby pageants can choose you to be a judge. But still, you could fuck kids in your spare time. But the thing is, if you're the head of a local ballet school or whatever, yeah. fashion college, you've or had a child CR- makeup company. Exactly, you've had a CRB check probably to get to that position of authority anyway. Well, most child beauty pageants, I'd say, are in the USA. Yes. And I don't know whether they have... CRB checks I don't know what they would be called I don't know what their laws are well, I think the, th- the, the truth is it probably depends on the scale doesn't it when it's statewide or certainly nationwide mm. I'm sure they think about this kind of thing very carefully indeed well, I think individual states have their own sort of regulations and and certification but even then they can choose people that 
they just want to get into the pageant. You, especially, they often have sponsors of the pageant as judges, and they could be anyone. How do you also explain your skills at being a prospective judge for a child beauty pageant without sounding a bit like a paedophile? You know, well, I'm an expert at assessing look, six-year-old's curves. I look at kids all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it would be wrong of us to say that this wasn't a marginal issue, but I still think it is, even in the weird world of child beauty pageants, probably quite a marginal issue. If you actually are interested in attending a child beauty pageant, which admittedly is a weird thing, because you're actually aroused by looking at children, just go and get a ticket. I mean, you wouldn't put yourself in the position of actually being the judge. Yeah, that's I mean, because you're drawing attention to yourself. More likely to sit in the back row, aren't you? Unless that's a big power trip. I guess, but I mean, it's a power trip in front of all those other people. I think it's a bit risky. Maybe it's best to be one of the backstage helpers. Yeah, exactly. those are volunteers, and I don't know whether they can afford to check them. I mean, this question is kind of like asking, if you're a judge at a dog show, do you have to prove that you have no bestiality convictions yeah, in your past? exactly. And the truth mm. is, probably one in a hundred does. <laughs> Down and lonely, life is so confusing. I need some answers, preferably amusing. Now I find... Podcast that will suit. I listen to Helen and Ali on my half hour commute. Right, it's time for a question now from Delilah in Nairobi, Kenya. A few days ago, we took our class of 2012 graduation photo. Congratulations. Getting the graduation cap, I realised what an odd shape the cap was. That's right. So, Helen, answer me this. Why do graduation caps make your head look like an egg with a square cardboard piece attached at the top? I'd never thought of it before, but her description has now withered my mental image of myself looking very smart indeed (laughs) in my mortarboard. I think it partly is so that although you've got this photo that your parents can keep on their mantelpiece and feel proud about for the rest of time, all of your contemporaries and friends when they come to their house could go, (laughs) They won't though. They won't. People have uh, a certain amount of license when it comes to academic dress and not being laughed at. I don't know. I always laugh at my friends' academic photos. I think they're brilliant. Well, if they're wearing like a turquoise satin cape with a furry trim. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's good training actually for how academics are perceived generally. in society well you know you're doing something where a lot of people aren't going to see the worth in what you do they're going to be like go and get a proper job I think if you can if you can withstand looking like an idiot and still think yes I'm happy with this I'm buying into this institution I think that's probably quite a good training mm-hmm. for the kind of steadfast I've been academic for a number of years and I've never had the amount of abuse that I've just been subjected to on this podcast Holly man the mortarboard and gown is a trope that has been popularized so much in culture and even the most vapid of American teen series will have a scene where everyone chucks it yeah, in the air. Yeah, exactly. That's around. totally different. Yeah, but it's, people are desensitised the fact that this hat is absurd and it's taken Delilah here to look upon it with fresh eyes and think, mm. this is ridiculous. It's Temper's new hat, isn't it? The university that we went to, listeners, you had to have a mortarboard as soon as you arrived. It wasn't just for graduation. You had to own one. Uh, so that you, you could matriculate. But you were not allowed to put it on your head until at you any point until you graduated. So you had to take it to all of your exams just holding it. I used to use it to carry my pens in. Yeah. See, now, I think the reason there's a tassel on the hat 
is so that it's tactile in your hands and then you play with a little tassel so you don't even want to put it on your head until <laughs> you graduate oh, because it's, it's fun to touch. It's not a stress ball. No, well, They're I used not, it like that. Yeah, but I don't think the hat designers were really thinking of fun and practicality because both of those things are completely negated by everything else in the hat. And no, the tassel evolved out of a little knobble that was on top of the hat. I'm guessing, Helen, that you've been on the internet and you're going to tell me what the hat designers were thinking. Oh, it's so complicated. They devolve out of religious hats. Originally, that's what universities were, wasn't yes, it? You go there to exactly. be a priest or a doctor, don't yes, you? Yes, or it. it was monks doing the teaching. And so to wear such a ludicrous headgear was actually a kind of honour. So it did confer this important status. And a lot of them were based around a skull cap with ornamentation. There's one theory that the skull cap had like a little square on it that used to be a knob and then got bigger and then got bigger and bigger and bigger until the square was much bigger than the skull cap. Did you, when you were walking around in your actual gown at university, mm. did you get stopped by any tourists and asked to post for a photo? No. I bloody didn't either. And I can't help we're thinking, ugly. It's because I'm ugly. So American tourists, if you go to Oxford or Cambridge this summer, please just ask an ugly student to pose with their mortarboard. They'll be so grateful. They will remember that moment forever. Here's another clothes question from Leo in California who says, Ollie, answer me this. Is it true that Chino trousers have that name because they're all manufactured at the jail in the city of Chino in California? <laughs> no. Oh, I mean, it's I can so see... tidy sounding. <laughs> I can see why. Is the city named after the trousers because all the prisoners have to wear chinos? <laughs> well, that's an interesting concept. Is it because the French for Chinese is chinois and chinos are very popular in China? You're not too far off. Oh, um, damn it. Although, well, it's still far enough to be called, <laughs> to be called wrong. Um, <laughs> Uh, we always like to keep a respectful distance from fact. <laughs> um, it is related to the Chinese. They're called Chino because they were made in China. Okay. Um, mm. uh, so then almost everything that we use in this country can be yes, called that. That's right. But these were made in China at the turn of the 20th century. So mm. at a time when Americans weren't sourcing many of their products from China. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason that uh, these trousers were being made in China is because they were being made for American troops in the Philippines oh. during the Spanish-American War. So, so it's a little bit of an incorrect term to use is it well because it's kind of racist yeah no i don't think it was really i think it's just that i, I suspect even possibly that is what the filipinos called the chinese was chino so it's not like they're just chino trousers because yeah, they're from china they're I, chinese trousers That's i'm sure that say the japanese and the chinese called each other some pretty unpleasant names around the same <laughs> yeah, time sure. doesn't mean we should still be using no, those no, names. but like okay you've got a samsung tv there yeah. if i called that a korean television that's like if in 100 years' time all TVs are called Korean. It's not actually offensive. I mean, that, that's how they said Chinese trousers. Very well. Okay. So Chino's like a what? Like a boring light cotton trouser with not a very flattering cut, is that Yeah, but they're not boring now. They're, they're quite jazzy colours this season. Mm, right. Yeah, Ollie like Man's the, got some purple I've ones. I've got some maroon ones. Which actually, I mean, I think they're fine, but I wouldn't have particularly chose maroon. It's just when you're a 40-inch waist, you can't be too selective. <laughs> they only make that colour in that size. That's because it's for old women. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I'm the monk out of 90s band Enigma. Helen, answer me this. Why I What was that all about? Here's a question from Matt in Shepherd's Bush, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Should the West End production of Singing in the Rain be banned in the drought? <laughs> 
Why? Because of the hosepipe ban. Oh, okay. So, the, yeah. You know the finale of Singing in the Rain, as it is in the West End now? Oh, I've not seen it. It's Well, they dance in the rain at the end. Right. So with actual rain. So they get through like a tank full of water, I guess, on the stage. Oh, it's probably night. just the theatre's got a leak. Well, <laughs> some of those old theatres do. Yeah, exactly. Is Singing in the Rain one of those films where they use milk in the shooting of it to make it appear more prominently on camera? I know they're in... Um, Russian one that did something like that. Well, then it'd be called I'm singing in the milk. No, it wouldn't, Helen. Because... I'm stinking of the milk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it would, Helen, because it was a special effect. You see, they wouldn't want to draw attention yeah. to that fact. Yeah, Star Wars isn't called Models in Space. What? Or Models Not in Space. Yeah, we've seen the Death Star. It was rubbish! No, it is water. Is it? Actual yeah, water? because pe- be people in the front row get a bit wet. All the electricals. Yeah, I don't know All how the they do slipping. It. Anyway, I've been on a very fascinating website called hosepipeban.org. UK, which will give you all the information you need about the hosepipe bans in your area. And it does seem that one can apply for exemptions. Right, yes. And mm. also, actually, businesses are particularly good at getting exemptions because you're allowed to hose dog shit off your forecourt. Whereas if you're just someone with a garden, you're not. You're allowed to use a hosepipe if uh, you're using grey water. Oh. So maybe, maybe the theatre in Singing in the Rain is using the water from the washing machine well, and squirting it all over people. It probably is a closed circuit of water. I, I reckon it oh, is. It's really? Not, no, I don't no think it's going to be riddled with disease. You think it's going to be coming from the tap every night? I think it's got to be fresh because if you had the water sluicing down through the stage and over the people and then washing off all that yeah. muck, they couldn't reuse that, could they? I guess. They're allowed to use water to their heart's content if they have a private borehole. Do you think that's probable <laughs> for a West End theatre? Seems unlikely. But I think the thing is, if you can get exemption for businesses, if your business is actually called Singing in the Rain, the show is called Singing <laughs> in the Rain, it's marketing, it's a, the big gimmick is that there's rain in the show. Look, they, they just gave Thames Water 10 free tickets yeah. to a matinee, yeah. and they were fine. Yeah, I reckon. And it wouldn't be paying much respect to the original film on which the musical is based if they had to rename it Singing in the Standpipe. Well, Singing in the Sun. That'd be quite a nice... nice uh, yeah, that'd be a nice little twist on it, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, but... a beautiful day, I'm still happy. You know. But I'm sweating a bit because I'm dancing. I wear my T-shirt. Yeah. Still don't think it would pull the crowns. <laughs> it's just my guess. Not like singing in the milk. No. <laughs> That's a dead set here. Anyway, something that definitely will be pulling the crowds in as much as this episode has anyway is uh, next week's episode of Answer Me This. Hey, don't say that. Our stats could go way down next week. It's Who possible. knows? It's possible after this conversation. Um, and, uh, if you've got a question for us to answer on next week's show, uh, you know what to do. Send it to us. All the details yep. about how to do that on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where if you're looking for them, you can also find our first three years episodes uh, you can find our apps uh, and we'll see you next week bye, bye.